everyone. This is David opposing the Matrix. It is the 9th of November, 2020, and it's six, uh, right around 6:30 uh, Pacific time and uh, Eastern time. That's 9:30, and Eric, uh, 8:30, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Good deal. So I want to welcome again. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, Russ Tanner and Laura Clement. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. Hey, we're right, we're we're five on five, right across the board. Uh, good deal. Um, so last time we uh, we got together, uh, there was a major computer gaffe here on this end. Um, this machine, when you use one of the programs that I use to uh, to edit the program. It uh, it changes the values of what the uh, input and output are, and uh, I'm telling you the uh, when I listened back to it, I, I literally cried, um, and I'm I'm serious, I did, because it was so garbled and everything that uh, I was like, man, I put these guys out for two hours, you know, and uh, out of you know they could have been doing other things instead of wasting their time doing a garbled show. I didn't think it was a waste of time. The three of us got a lot out of it, but the audience got absolutely nothing. And um, so anyway, um, Russ and Laura were very gracious, and I thank you for your grace to, to come back on, and uh, and we'll try to do it again. You know, maybe there was just one, that one thing that we were supposed to talk about that we didn't, and uh, and, it, and it meant to be talked about, so uh, maybe we'll hit on it tonight. So... Um, Laura and um, Russ, if you want to real quick uh, introduce yourselves, your uh, credentials, uh, your your websites and stuff like that, and then we'll uh, we'll get started and uh, and talk about uh, chemtrails and about um, how we can um, rid our bodies of these toxins that uh, they're forcing us to breathe, eat, and drink. Absolutely, Laura, you want to go first? No, go ahead. Oh, okay. This is the repeat uh, of last time. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know. Um, no, my name is Russ Tanner. I uh, I started learning about government. I started studying and paying real close attention to government in the mid-'80s. Uh, became very fascinated by the fact that mainstream media didn't tell the truth a lot. Um, I really started discovering how much we're living under lies and deception and then uh, I got to know Laura in the 90s, and we formed a business together and continued studying and learning and continued to learn how deceptive uh, media is and how the government and the media work together to propagate lies and disinformation to the public. And then in 2000, in 2000, I actually got poisoned by my mercury amalgam fillings. I was getting sick for five years prior, had them out, had all my symptoms go away, and realized I was a victim of mercury in amalgam fillings. And I'm particularly sensitive to it, but it doesn't mean it's not destroying the bodies of those who are not. So I started getting involved in that, and our business grew and flourished, and we we did things. And in 2005, I experienced my first daily chemtrail spraying. Um, I have a very sensitive sense of taste and smell, have all my life. And when they started spraying it, you can have different people in the room. For me, it'll burn my sinuses. I'll feel it in my head, my bones, my joints. Uh, I'll have uh, physiological effects. I can't think straight. Terrible inflammation. Other people will be just fine. But I tend to be sensitive that way. Um, right. Uh, but other people, some other people do smell and taste them too. So that was... I first experienced that in uh, a daily spraying in November of uh, 2005, and I was so 
frustrated by that because it actually ruined my quality of life like amalgam fillings had. Oh, and yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, so I wanted to expose that. And so that's what brought me to this point. Um, I put up globalskywatch.com. I put up Orbis, O-R-B-I-S, Vitae, V-I-T-A-E, means circle of life, OrbisVitae.com, and globalskywatch.com to expose the lies. I'm, I'm a hater of lies. I do not like lies. Amen. And um, and I uh, just want to uh, to shine the light in those dark places so that world can see that uh, everything we've been told uh, is true. <laughs> the things that we've learned about how the world really works. And so that's that's my story. Laura? Sure, yeah. Um, and I'm Laura. I'm his business partner. And actually, Russ, you forgot to mention that if People are interested in learning more about mercury and uh, reading more about what you went through with the mercury poisoning. Actually, I did too. I had a mouthful of fillings that I'd had since I was a child. Um, They didn't affect me physically as much as they did, Russ, but um, I found out after I had them all removed how much they were affecting me emotionally. a lot of stress, anxiety, depression, negativity. They seem to affect me much more on an emotional uh, aspect than physical, um, although I did have you know, some minor physical problems. But uh, if you go to mercurytalk.com, just the two words, mercury and talk, Russ has posted all of his, uh, basically his story and everything that we went through in discovering about the the mercury in amalgam fillings and and that whole story and it's helped a lot of people that we've talked to over the oh my goodness what 20 years now i guess so um but i'm his business partner i do all the research and uh on all different kinds of nutritional supplements Uh, we actually put together uh, a like a reference manual on herbal supplements that we distributed uh, primarily to health food stores and naturopathic doctors, chiropractors, you know, people like that who, um, you know, recommend supplements to their to their clients and customers. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for the past 20-some years, 23 years, I guess now. And wow. I it used to be available on a website that we had, um, that we made public. However, Right before COVID, um, we had to take all that information off the Internet. And Russ can explain more about why that was. Um, Very interesting, the timing there, you know, scrubbing all of that truth from all the scientific research and studies that people could have used to help themselves build up their immune systems, keep themselves healthy, not only just for, you know, what is going on with the pandemic, but all different kinds of health problems, and so um, that was that was a real shocker. Russ, yeah, you can explain yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's very ironic. I mean, we hear so much about COVID, and we hear about how. Um, well, let me tell you, we hear about so many faked uh, people who are the hospitals who receive money when they have a COVID COVID victim, and so they categorize everything they can, and um, so uh, it's the same kind of thing. You know, we. Uh, we uh, ha- had all of this information. We had probably close to 200,000 pages on the Internet uh, through a lot of our clients' uh, websites, scientific referenced information that would have shown people how to kill viruses, how to kill bacteria, how to strengthen your immune system, proven, referenced, solid information 
and the FTC and FDA uh, indirectly through the company that we wrote for uh, pressured them to make us cease and desist immediately and take all of our information down. So it's the same thing like in herb stores is that uh, the FDA has a policy that you can't have scientific information within 20 feet of the actual products you're selling, herbal products. Um, Strange, and it's not law. It's not something that's in writing. It's actually a policy, so it can't really be challenged in court very effectively. You know, it's hard to challenge policies because policies really don't mean anything. It's it's when they have a written uh, statute uh, or law that can really be challenged. So that's kind of how they get away with it for so long. But that's uh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I um, just to to jump in real real quick. Um, uh, when I read that um, President Trump had been using um, Zithromax and um, I can't remember the other drug right now <laughs> um, to 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 kind of ward off uh, COVID nineteen, and that other doctors had been doing that. Uh, I got to thinking because you know I, I was a, in pharmacy tech for 25 years and 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 I knew what I know what drugs do I know what they're for what they're made for you know and uh, well you know, Zithromax is a, is a bactericidal and it's to kill bacteria and the other one is a malaria drug the hydrochloroquine that's the name of it um, and it's uh, and basically I think it's called like a plasmacidal um, drug. Uh, because malaria is, is a very unique uh, in, uh, entity. And but, but both of these things are alive, and neither of them work on viruses. And so when they were saying that these things work and that they were working against the, you know, quote-unquote virus, I was like, this okay, well, this either this thing isn't a virus or a whole bunch of people are lying about these two drugs working. And um, so I uh, I wrote an article, or actually did a radio show on it, too, and uh, the article still exists, but the radio show was actually taken off the air by, uh, well, it was on YouTube, and YouTube uh, just, it disappeared one day, and I was told that I couldn't have it on there anymore, because it would incite people into violence, <laughs> of all things. Um, so I know what you guys are going through, and, and, and please, when I say you guys, I come from New Jersey. So we say it. We call you, everybody you guys, okay? I'm perfectly <laughs> aware that Laura, Laura's a woman. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's no problem. Good. I'm it's from the good. South, so we yeah. say y'all. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I love that phrase. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, you know, I've had my own little brush with, uh, with you know, being taken off or forced off because of uh, – just asking questions, you know, these two drugs are for this, but they treat this, you know, how can that be? Anyway, so go ahead. I just wanted to, to throw that in. So, um, you, uh, so you guys work together, you, um, uh, do a lot of research. Um, you've had things, uh, you've been given cease and desist orders basically, um, for, for your work. And by the way, you, you sent me a, a word document, um, Russ, I think it was. And, uh, of all the different compounds and stuff. And I thank you very much for that. And, you know, we'll be talking about that later. Um, so did you, um, if, if you just wanted to continue on, on your own course, uh, you're certainly welcome to, or if you want to take questions from us or whatever, but, uh, so, um, but what about, uh, let's, uh, we, 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 we've been pretty, um, schooled in, um, chemtrails, uh, owned by you actually, uh, you're the only one that'll talk about it. 
Um, but um, I have a um, a friend that he lives down in Arizona, and he's he's up there in years, and um, he just doesn't understand some things. And I know we talked about this when we had our our let's just say our electronic bug show, uh, but mm-hmm. um, uh, about the uh, the metal particles in, in the uh, in the jet engines, and um, just in case he's listening tonight. Uh, would you would you mind going through that because you know I, I see where he's coming from that that if aluminum is a metal and it's and it's got a coarseness to it and a hardness to it it could it could hurt a plane engine but you have a perfectly good way of explaining that and um, and then feel free to 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 go into all, any or all aspects that you want uh, it's basically you, you're in Laura's show tonight okay so. All right. Yeah. Whatever, whatever I'm going to cover. I mean, mainly we want to help people and get the truth out. That's really what this is all about. And that's why I do. I I never wanted to be in the public eye. I I like to tend to be a private person. And I kind of this happened to me. And as I started sharing this information on my website, it just became more and more apparent that I would be doing more public things. So um, so helping people is what it's all about. So about metal in the engines. Uh, first thing to realize is that the metals that they're injecting, um, uh, we they're very, very small. Um, first of all, I smell and taste them. That's my starting point. When, I, when this happened to me, I saw a trail. I lived in Jamestown, New York at the time, and I could see the whole city over where I lived because I had a window in my office that overlooked the whole town. Um, and I saw this big old trail get formed up above. And I'm like, what is that? Because I'd never seen a trail come from a high-bypass jet engine before in my entire life. And I used to collect pictures of jets when I was a kid. And I attained many, many, many pictures over time. Um, So I can taste and smell it. And so I started uh, working with – and it affected me dramatically, as I said a few minutes ago. So what I did – I mean, really dramatically, it has ruined my quality of life. My whole life revolves around – living between the plumes, I guess we could say. When those plumes descend, we both have reactions. She and I, you know, her old back injury from an, an accident uh, uh, flares up, and then she gets the joint pain and muscle. I get It's all synchronized. We get it at the same time. And she knows when the air is bad, even though she doesn't smell it and taste it, unless it's super, super bad. You know, it has to be overwhelming to me, and then she'll begin to taste it. She doesn't have that super sensitive sense of taste and smell that I have. But the small particles that you were mentioning about your friend talking about, the particles... I started uh, uh, getting air purifiers. In fact, I ended up making my own because I found out the HEPA filters don't remove this. And then I found out as I researched this that there's a bunch of patents. And one of the patents actually talk about injecting aluminum into the bypass airstream or actually putting it in the fuel. And the aluminum particulates are so small and they have so little inertia that they don't really make much of a difference other than the air itself. Right. So it real in the patent. I have I've seen the patent myself. I think we actually have it uh, posted on. We have hundreds of patents posted on GlobalSkyWatch.com. But it's actually uh, in a patent that says that the particulates that are sufficiently small will not hurt the engine. Huh. Uh, they won't. They really won't affect the engine. So that's not me saying that. That's the, the researchers in the patent. Now I found this out myself because what I did is I ended up buying one air purifier after the other. Because the spraying was so bad, I couldn't sleep at night. And so I needed an air purifier to clear the air. And so I thought, okay, this is what I'll do. So I ended up spending thousands of dollars buying all kinds of different, you know, cartridges and filters and HEPA and super HEPA, you know, hyper HEPA filters and all of these different things. 
And what I would do is I would take one of these and put it in a relatively small room and breathe the air because I could taste the metal in the air when a plume was on us. And I would turn this on and I would find that if there was any kind of smoke, if there was any animal odor, if there was any odor from cooking, if there was anything, because I could smell odors in the air all the time, all my life. You know, there's always odors in the air. And these, these uh, filters would actually do a fantastic job of removing all of those odors, except they did not remove the metal taste of the chemtrails or the odors if there was an odor because there's different kinds. Some have more taste to them. Some have more odor. Um, most of them, it's taste, but there is some odor to some of them that you can detect. So I realized that these HEPA filters were not removing this stuff from the air. And that's when I had already seen the patents saying that these particulates in the patents anyway were very, very, very small. Uh, and things, you know, HEPA filters down, to, I think 0.3 micron uh, is basically what it'll capture. Wow. Uh, a majority of that. And so these particles are really, really small. And they have to. If you think about if the particles were too big, they would get caught. You know, they would be, um, there would be, there would be more artifacts that we could see. You know, they might accumulate on the ground or they might, uh, sit on top of the bird bath and actually make, a, make some kind of a film on the top, which actually, I think there are, there are types that you can see that do that, but they kind of write that off to other things. So anyway, so the particulates are small enough and that really answers that question is when they're sufficiently small, according to the patent, they don't hurt the engine. Right. So I think that, I think that that's where that's, uh, where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And when you talk about the evidences of them, cause this is the hardest thing is people think are, is our government really spraying us with poisons? Well, there's absolutely zero doubt in my mind whatsoever because I do taste and smell them and I'm not looking for attention. This is the last thing in the world I ever wanted. I, I never in my life dreamed I would be running Facebook groups and talking about this, but this has affected my life and I'm very frustrated and angry at the fact that this affects the health of other people. Sure. And the way that I know this is because I can smell it and taste it when I'm out in public or I'm around family, I see their behavior and their physical changes in the way that they feel in the, their alertness level. I see the behavior of children change when a bad plume comes down on us. And typically the way that works, if you, uh, the, the pattern that we've experienced is that a plume will come down, and this has changed recently, actually. They've actually made a lot of changes over the years, so I could talk for hours on this, and I won't. <laughs> I don't want everybody to be bored with the details. But one day I would love to get all this information recorded and logged down so people, hopefully one day there will be a massive lawsuit and the people will be held responsible for doing this. But anyway, I can see that the, the way that people's behavior changes and the way that people get tired and children start to argue and fight. Uh, Laura and I feel the effects of it. You know, when a plume, we both feel it. Uh, depending on the type, sometimes I'll feel one type before she does, and other types she's a little more sensitive to, and she'll feel it before I do. You know, I almost always, well, I always taste it before she does because uh, she usually doesn't taste it unless it's really super duper strong. Right. So, yeah, and I mean, there's, there's so much evidence. I mean, if you go flying, I, I flew at least once a year all my life growing up, and when you would get to altitude, you would not see what you see today. If you look out into the atmosphere, you see that the atmosphere, the Earth's atmosphere is like this silvery, shiny, uh, iridescent glow that it did not have. And I know that because I was Mr. Window Seat. 
when right. I flew, when I was growing up, my parents knew that I wanted a window seat. And oh. that's what I did because I love looking out the window. And it wasn't like that. And I've got pictures as well, you know, from way back when as well. But anyway, so, I mean, you've got the iridescent grow, uh, uh, glow that now appears around the Earth that was not there before. You have We have video and pictures of, of uh, trails uh, behind the jets turning on and off. And I know... All these things, not not all of them, but most of the ones that are most compelling, they try to explain away in mainstream media. But their explanations are horrible and, and, uh, and many of them just outright ridiculous. But they try to explain the trail switching on and off by um, uh, different temperatures or humidity uh, areas in the air. But the thing is, is that after this th- phenomenon started getting a lot of attention, we know... We had people giving us feedback all over the United States, but they, they actually saw the trails turning on and off so that no longer, for a period of time, you didn't see trails in the sky in many locations that we had reporting to us in our group because we've got almost 200,000 people in our group on Facebook all over the world, most countries in the world. Um, they started seeing like dashes in the sky. So they would, they would spray these dashes. So as the wind blew in the period, you know, over several minutes, it would start to look more like a real cloud. So it was, seemed like it was kind of a, an operation to see if they could kind of divert attention away. Capitalize, uh, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, so the public didn't recognize the trail. So you have trails switching on and off. We have trails, um, jets, same type of jets, same engines flying next to each other in formation that are leaving trails, which commercial jets, that's not legal to do. I've checked every jet that leaves a trail in my area that I've checked is military and you can go on flight radar 24. Yes. 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 The, uh, yeah, the commercial jets don't leave in my, in my experience, this is 100%. Every jet that I've gone on flight radar 24 in track using their transponder, you can actually get all the information about commercial jets. None of them leave trails. When you don't see it, like you, I'll have a jet go overhead and I'll go on flight radar. It's not there. That means it's military because military don't report. They don't get reported, of course. And that's exactly what you would expect. Trails, only from the military jets. That's what we're experiencing in in my life. That's what I've experienced. Plus, you have jets flying at the same time, same airspace. One leaves a trail, one doesn't. Even in formation, we've seen video where they'll, they'll be flying in. There'll be a couple of three. I've seen as many as five jets at a time flying in formation. Um, some leave trails, some don't at the right. same time. Right. And... Then we have tons of other things. We have oily film. We have uh, uh, Dr. Marvin Herndon did research on the residue left over from snow and found a signature of metals that is identical to coal fly ash. And, of course, if they're going to dump stuff on us, they're going to dump stuff that uh, is cheap. You know, they're going to try to take waste and and uh, anyway, keep the keep the program cheap and, and running smoothly because you have to produce a tremendous amount of stuff. Um so many other things. We've seen uh, a preponderance of diseases that you would expect. We've seen insect die-offs, animal die-offs. We had this reported from scientists. We have scientists on our website who have their testimony, who've written papers about this, who talk about this, um, and seen all of these uh, side effects going uh, happening. Uh, toxic in, in wa- uh, metals in water. Uh, one of the primary, we talked about aluminum, right? Well, here I'd water-tested the rainwater, I live in rural Maine, and we had 300 micrograms per liter of aluminum in the rainwater. 300 micrograms per liter. Well, 50 is considered by the EPA 
the maximum can they call it the SMCL, the max secondary maximum contaminant level. So you shouldn't drink if it has more than 50. We have 300. But that's nothing compared to Lake Shasta, where they have absolutely plastered the sky for a decade. And they were getting an order of magnitude higher aluminum in the rainwater to the point where it was killing the trees. Really? Yeah, they could test the tree bark, and the tree bark had orders of magnitude more aluminum than it should have in them. In oh, them. my goodness. And then we wonder why the forest fires are so hot, because aluminum sequesters oxygen. You have aluminum oxide, which is which actually will make fires burn hotter. So I could go on. I, I apologize. I've probably been talking 10 minutes now, but we have solar halos that appear with certain chemtrails types. You know, these are phenomena in the sky that have not existed historically, although mainstream media will try to convince you they have. I am a lifetime sky watcher, and I know they haven't. Never seen them in a book. Never seen them in a picture. Petroleum artifacts uh, that appear in clouds. You'll see those rainbow kind of clouds. And um, the problem is, is when you see the light distribution really, really concentrated towards the blues and the purples, that's not your typical rainbow. That's an right. oil slip rainbow. That's something that's more of a light distribution pattern you'll see if you have oil dropped in a puddle on the ground. So we see that in the sky, and that began, that artifact began at the same time I started smelling toluene in the air. Huh. Which, and I, yeah, started smelling toluene and having symptoms from it. It caused me a lot of symptoms. And uh, it smells like model cement glue. And if you put on a wet mask, which I can get into later, but I use a wet mask, which is a special thing that I use, which helps block this stuff because you can't use a regular mask. It has to be kind of chelated. You kind of have to chelate the air. If right. you put a little bit of oil on that mask over and that particular type of chemtrails in the air, which is very common that it is, the mask will begin to smell like model cement glue and burnt plastic to the point where other people can smell the mask and they're like, oh, my God, they will tell you it smells like burnt rubber, burnt plastic or some kind of like uh, people have said mineral spirits or acetone. Wow. And I think it's more like toluene, you know, but it, people, you know, those odors are, are kind of in a similar class. So then we also have fallout separation. We actually have these artifacts where you'll see the trails created by jets and you'll see stuff falling out. You'll have stuff that comes out the bottom while part of it stays aloft. And this is because, obviously, because there are particulates that are heavier than air and they're dragging uh, the trail downward. And I have a whole collection on Global Skywatch of pictures showing what we call fallout separation. Right. The other thing... The other artifact we see is we see these trails that have the uh, like the little teardrops underneath them, like like they're pulsed. And I believe I don't have firsthand information about this particularly. But to me, when you're dealing with something that is a nanoparticle solid, like if you had nanoparticle or or very, very small particle aluminum, one of the mechanisms by which you would pump that through a pipe system would be with what's called a diaphragm pump. Right. And a diaphragm pump produces pulses. It's like it's a diaphragm that moves back and forth, and a one-way valve will open and then close, open and close, just like on a piston engine, and it will pulse that semi-solid, is often what they call that, it'll pulse that semi-solid out to its destination through whatever pipe network you're using. So I think that that phenomenon that you see under certain types, it doesn't appear under all the types, is uh, is an artifact of diaphragm pumps. 
Nice. Yeah, and it goes on. Yeah, yeah. And then I could go on. I've got a whole list of like 28 different uh, uh, attributes that we've witnessed that show that there are particulates uh, being dispersed. And and that's just a handful of them there. So You know, I... um I, I watched the video one time, and I've only seen it once, and I really kicked myself in the pants for not downloading it off of YouTube. But it was a, um, it looked like it was a, um, a fighter pilot, and I don't know if he was speaking to other fighter pilots that were in a squadron or what, but they were looking down on a plane that was actually, um, it looked like it's almost like a 747 that was releasing a chemtrail, and uh, the pilot looked, said to the other pilot, he says. You don't want to fly down into that. That'll kill you. So yeah, that that was proof right there. But um, and you you, you answered a question that I I was going to ask because um, again my friend he he said well what kind of pilots knowing that this stuff is going to kill his kids and his grandkids and maybe his wife would do that? But you know if they're military, first of all they might not know what they're doing. Um, because they're under orders, then it's, you know, hey, go spray this stuff. Yes, sir. You know, um, but there are also probably military that uh, just don't care. And, and I would imagine that they would hire, hire single pilots that aren't married or have children and stuff like that. Have you ever heard that question asked? Why would why would they do this if they knew that it was hurting their loved ones and things like that? Yeah. I mean, if you think like the military, they're not going to know. You know, right. it's it's uh, compartmentalization. I mean, the pilots aren't going to know what they're spraying. In fact, there's been a lot of feedback through people who say they're whistleblowers. Of course, we don't know. Some of these – we do know some whistleblowers who came out with very specific and very concise stories. Um, but uh, some of the other whistleblowers uh, maintain their anonymity, so we don't we don't know. But we have heard what to me sounds very logical is that the pilots have no idea, and the pilots are actually told – uh, that uh, well, they don't turn on valves or anything. This is done apparently, but from these whist- what the whistleblowers say is the the systems are turned on remotely. So they're just told to fly a certain path, and they fly the flight, and then the equipment is uh, the dispersal equipment turns on and off uh, as uh, uh, as it's in, as it's uh, remotely instructed to. So I don't think the pilots have any idea what they're doing. And furthermore, we've heard a lot of whistleblowers over the years, for many years, we've heard whistleblowers that once the Internet became popular, we've heard story after story. I've heard from military people who said that they, were, they weren't allowed on the Internet. It's like really? you can't eat. Yeah, they were told that they can't go and, re, you know, go collect information because some, some military were getting disturbed by some of the things they were finding out about whatever missions they were involved in or controversy or the military contractor corruption or uh, things like that. And so I heard from some of them and some of them I know personally uh, were saying, yeah, we weren't, you know, we got scolded when we were, you know, online and we started searching for things. It's like, don't do that. Right. Well, I can imagine it would be like the agent orange when that was sprayed in Vietnam, you know, and I, I would imagine some of the pilots would have said, Hey, if it does that to trees, you know, what's it doing to human beings? And um, they had to live with that the rest of their lives. Because um, I do know that, I, I do pretty well think that they know what they were doing. They were basically deforest, deforestation of uh, the jungle so that we could see the enemy. But um, 
anyway, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting stuff, man. It really is. And it, it explains an awful lot. And again, I hope my friends listening, and if not, I'm going to direct them to, uh, to listen to the show after, you know, everything's all said and done. And, um, cause he's, he's convinced that there's no such thing, but it's, there are a lot of people like that that are convinced there's no such thing. And, um, but, uh, you know, being convinced because you believe that something doesn't exist and being convinced or being convinced that there are such things because you've, you've seen the data, that's two different things. And then, you know, yes, part of the data is that yet you can taste these things and, uh, and metal does have a taste to it because when I used to, um, hammer a lot, you know, and I would hold nails in my mouth, you could, uh, you know, if they were rosin coated nails, you could taste that. If they were just plain steel nails, you could taste that. Uh, you know, I've held copper in my mouth, so I know what that tastes like. So metal does have a taste to it. So I have no, no doubt whatsoever that, that you're able to taste these things. I can smell them pretty good. I've, I've smelled them here in Oregon before. Um, uh, even if it hasn't rained for days and days, um, I could drive up the freeway and all of a sudden it's a, like a musty, um, swampy sort of smell. Because I've smelled swamps before. I've lived near swamps. And, um, well, it's funny you say that because I actually have named one of the types. There's about 13 different types of chemtrails that I've categorized by their taste and smell. And one of them I call the swamp water because it actually tastes to me like it's a very musty mix of like algae and mushrooms. Yes. It's, it's got that algae swampy type of smell to it. And that it's not as common anymore, but that used to be a very commonly sprayed type. Yeah. I'll even tell my wife, I'll say, yep, they've been spraying. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I mean, in here we had uh, one type that I call the barium type is one that always was sprayed in front of precipitation, whether it was rain or snow. And so whenever uh, I would start tasting the barium type, and I call it the barium type because I think it's probably barium salts is what my theory is. Right. Um, because barium salts are used to what's called hypernucleate the air. As some people know, that if you're going to create rainfall, you need to have condensation nuclei, which are little particulates in the air, which rain will condense around, and as it becomes big enough, it eventually falls. Well, likewise, if you put too much condensation nuclei into the air, there's not enough water to go around. So you cannot get enough condensation to accumulate on any particular uh, nuclei, and so rain doesn't fall. So by spreading a lot of condensation nuclei, you can actually hold the moisture in the air, which is what we saw happening off the coast of California. So here in this, you know, when that brought in the drought, and then they dumped the water in, they dumped the rain in the Midwest. And what really is upsetting about this is look at how many people suffered, look at how much damage was done to the U.S. and to agriculture, to people in California, um, and not to mention the people in the Midwest. But what I was originally saying is that the barium type is the type that was always always sprayed. Up until this last year, they actually changed their pattern. But for a year, I mean, for the last 10, more than 10 years, I would say before, well, yeah, 10 years before that, I could tell when there was a front coming in. I, don't, I, could, I could tell you because they would start spraying the barium type, and I knew within the next, usually within the next 12 hours, Sometimes less, but within about 12 hours, we've had a big front moving in. Never failed. Never failed wow. until this last year. 
Yes. And, and Laura, what I would tell Laura, and I wouldn't even look at radar. I would go tell her just to kind of prove my point over the years or just kind of, you know, kind of just drill it in and say, there's barium type in the air, pull up radar. Let's see what's coming. So it's kind of been like a running joke, I guess, that we have between us that we can tell when the fronts are coming because of that particular type. The weatherman. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that um, back in 2007, I think it was, I flew down to Mexico City and, uh, and it was always a night flight. Uh, the only flight that left Sacramento was at midnight. And by the time that the sun started coming up, cause you're heading south and you're heading east at the same time. And, um, so the sun would come up probably, you know, you'd start seeing light in the sky probably around, uh, oh, I don't know, four o'clock, four thirty in the morning. And, um, and I noticed that the when I looked down and they weren't very far down uh, that uh, there there were chemtrails there and you, and you could tell the difference you know first of all uh, uh, contrail isn't going to last it disappears uh, back then anyway but these chemtrails were, were there and then all of a sudden the plane lowered altitude and was flying right through the stupid thing and I'm like I'm thinking to myself this isn't going to be good because we we had talked to you. Um, I don't think we ever had a radio show back then, but I know that I knew you and I talked with you about this stuff. And, and, um, and I'm like, this isn't going to be good. And, um, so we landed, I landed in, you know, Guadalajara first and that's where they put you through customs and they put you back on the same plane and fly to Mexico city. And, um, when I got there, I had, I God is my witness. I had not been there for two hours and I developed a cough. And that cough turned into a bronchitis that I had the whole time I was there. As a matter of fact, I'm like, wow, this, you know, is this guy going to want me to marry his daughter? You know, because he's going to think I have TB or something, you know? And, um, so anyway, uh, and I had that bronchitis even after I came back to the States, which was three weeks later and, uh, and had it for um, two or three months at least after I came back. And ever since then, when anything goes around, you know, if I'm around a little kid or something and they sneeze, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, what's this going to turn into? And and I would say eight times out of ten, I'll catch whatever they sneeze into the air. And um, and I've I, I never had lung problems. And I've been around some funky stuff. You know, I've I've milled uh, fiberglass without a mask on before. Um, I, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, which was, you know, their motto should be better living through chemicals. And it, it just, you know, all the stuff that I'd been around, I never had lung problems until 2007, 2008. And ever since then, life has been very interesting to live because um, I've had bronchitis probably five or six times since then. I've had pneumonia two or three times after that. And I used to never get sick. So um, I'm a, kind of a walking uh, testimony as to what you're saying is true. And uh, I don't know what was in that chemtrail, but it was it was some nasty stuff. And planes do take the, the air in from outside, by the way. A lot of people will tell you, well, no, they don't. But, you know, at uh, 50,000 feet or 40 or wherever they fly, you know, the air is pretty thin up there. And if they didn't take any air in uh, and they were recycling the other air, well, you're going to run out of oxygen pretty soon. And everybody on a plane is going to be dead from uh, CO2 poisoning. So, uh, yes, they do take in air from outside. So, um, and you know, oh, Jim, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jim has told you his story about, uh, riding his motorcycle down by Roswell and the plane flew over. And then at, soon afterwards, this like web-like material fell down in the sky 
it fell onto him, and he's had uh, lung problems ever since too. So, yeah, and um, there's a patent that actually talks about using spiderweb-like structures as a as a delivery system in wartime for viruses. It's a viral and bacterial delivery system through webs that fly, so they can get this to kind of fly over a large area of a large area. So it was a technology that there's patents about. And you talked about, you know, this, the lung problems, um, you know, uh, asthma, asthmatic bronchitis, things like this. Um, it, it, based on the information I've seen, I think comes from the CDC. I mean, uh, what, the number three new disease in the last 10 years or something like that? Um, I saw that somewhere. Here is what I discovered is that since I was a kid, and I talked about my sensitive t- sense of taste and smell, if I was in a car, if I smelled the breath of somebody who had an upper respiratory infection, some or cough, you know, cough, flu, uh, cold, it had a very certain odor to it that was very unique and not like anything else I experienced. And as a kid, I was very quiet and shy, and I assumed everybody was like this. It's nothing I ever talked about. I figured nobody talked about it. Well, eventually, I experienced things like if I was in a car with somebody who was sick, the car would become filled with that odor. And most people obviously wouldn't smell it, but it's something that I did smell. Well, back in 2009 was the first time I started experiencing this over huge areas. Now, I live about 40 minutes outside Bangor, Maine, and I could drive into Bangor, come all the way back home, and this stuff would be in the air. And this started in this area in 2009. And then what they started, and it was kind of background. It wasn't really, really super strong. But a few years later, we actually started experiencing really strong plumes of this. And then, let me remind everybody, this is the odor is exactly the same as what people exhale when they have the flu. Right. Okay? This is what I smell. And it's very distinctive. There's nothing else I've ever smelled like it. So when we would have that spraying occur for three solid days, like three days in a row in our area, people everywhere gets sick. They call it like an outbreak. You know, there's something's going around. Everybody's getting sick. The first time we had a stretch that lasted an entire week. Okay. They had so many people sick in the area. They shut down the schools and the pediatricians offices were backed up. You know, everybody was trying to get their kids in uh, because so many people were sick, but it was so severe I don't remember the year, but it wasn't that long ago, maybe five years ago or something. I mean, they shut down schools, and and, and I'm sitting here like, I know exactly what this is. They're releasing biologics into the air in huge concentrations. It just is so strong in the air that it's just like unbearable for me. And it went now, uh, more recently in 2017, this is another event. There's been a number of events like this. In uh, 2017, the day before Christmas Eve, they released this stuff for two weeks straight. And that's when we had the great uh, flu outbreak in the United States, you know, like at the very beginning of 2018 and the end of 2017. But it was the, I remember it was the day before Christmas Eve. They just nailed us so hard with that bacterial viral smell in the air. And it, they just did it all day for two weeks. And that's when the outbreak across the United States occurred. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if anyone out there has ever seen, you know, I don't know, you know, when I was younger, I saw the movie Terminator. Oh, you know, yeah. It's kind of, it's one of those definitive mm-hmm. movies that you don't forget if you see it. And if you see Terminator 2, you have Sarah Connor at the end, who's driving off into the storm in the desert. Uh, 
and she's the only one who knows what's coming in the future. And this is the ominous feeling that it gives me when I'm one of the minority. Now, there are, there are other people who smell this. I mean, I've probably met 500 people online, more than 500 people online over, over the years who actually smell it and taste it. I actually talked to some in the last uh, few weeks. In fact, just a few days ago, I had a relative confess to me that, uh, that they can uh, smell this in the air. Um, anyway, but it feels like you're one of those lonely people, one of those very few people that know exactly what's going on. Right. And the rest of the world is completely deceived. And it is such an ominous, lonely, sad feeling to live knowing that this, that all the suffering that people go through and the sickness and however many people died and people have lost relatives and bacterial infections and the, and all of the things that go along with it are likely caused from, well, obviously caused because the outbreaks happen right after these massive uh, spraying events. And I will say this yesterday. Now we haven't had biologics. I call them biologics because that's a military word for it. Uh, we haven't had biologics here. I think in a couple of weeks, I, I log this every day at, on our global skywatch Facebook group. Uh, yesterday and today we had biologics in the air. Yesterday we had right. one plume today. It's, it was in the air from early afternoon. We had our first biologic plume and at last, or no, actually it was in the late morning. It was a, there was a plume before the one I was thinking about. From late morning all the way until evening, we've had biologics that I can smell in the air. So it makes me wonder what, I always wonder what they're up to. I'm like, is this going to go for three days? Is it going to go for two weeks? Is right. this COVID? Because when COVID broke in the United States, and I'm just going to say this, and I know. No, no, I was, this is exactly what I was going to ask you. My next question, go for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, people can say what they want, but one day they're going to realize that this is the truth. Okay. I, I was on radio show with Dave Wigington, uh, Dane Wigington for a couple of years, years ago on his uh, geoengineering watch radio. And then I, all the way to the end of that. And then he went on uh, uh, public radio and, and did, had a different format. But through the whole time that he had calling people, we used to say on that show, you know, we know they're spraying metals. We're finding it in insects. We're finding it in tree bark. We're finding it in the rain. We're finding it in the snow. We're finding it in the rivers. We're finding it in the soils. Okay. It's only a matter of time until they start releasing biologics. One day, the day that they decide we're going to start releasing biologics, what, what's going to begin to happen? How many people are going to die? How many people are going to suffer? Back at the beginning of this year, we had another event, and I believe it was two weeks. Again, I've logged all this for the world to see. If you want to see my daily, almost daily. I sometimes skip days because I'm a busy man and I have to make a living. But all right. um, uh, I, I've logged this. And at the beginning of this year, right before the COVID outbreak, at the same time that we were told we had to remove all of our science off the Internet about herbs, and easy, uh, uh, easy to access herbs and vitamins that could really help your immune system, that kill viruses, that that would take care of these problems. In my opinion, I'm not a doctor and I don't treat, diagnose, or cure symptoms, conditions, or diseases. But, but I've seen the science and a lot of it because that's what our business does. Mm -hmm. During that period, when COVID was starting to outbreak in the United States, just before that, we had two massive weeks of super heavy spraying to the point where I couldn't breathe the air, just like in 2017, um, mm -hmm. but when the flu outbreak happened right there at the beginning of 2018, at the end of 2017. We had a two-week event like that, and then they followed up periodically. Like they were trying to keep it in the air, but they weren't doing it every day. But we got absolutely nailed as hard. Um, 
I believe it was actually harder than we did at the end of 2017. And it coincided with COVID outbreak in the United States. So people can take that for what they want. You know, I have no way of testing this air to, to find out which particular viruses or bacteria are in there. But I will say this. I know what it smells like when somebody has the flu and there's a very particular odor in their breath. I've smelled this since I was a kid. I've always been sensitive to this. I've always known it was there. And it cannot be a coincidence to me that when every major outbreak in our area happened, it was preceded by at least three days of very strong biologic spraying. And the same thing happened with the flu outbreak in 27, at the end of 2017. And the exact same thing happened at the COVID outbreak, too. Wow. Not That's a coincidence. It would be a pretty wild coincidence. Hey, uh, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, I have a question for him, if it's okay to interrupt for Please, a no, no, go ahead. Yeah, hey, Russ, I was, uh, as, as you're talking, you mentioned over the years that the, the cloud formations or the, the chemicals have kind of changed and morphed into different formations and different type of things that they're using. Have you think... I guess I have a couple of questions. My little brain is going over time here. Um, do you think that the 5G that they're pushing, I actually heard 6G is going to be coming out, that with the 5G or 6G with these uh, high-frequency or low-frequency megahertz, with, the, with these chemicals they're releasing, uh, are coincided to work together? Because, um, you know, it doesn't seem like when the government does something, it's never just an accident, it seems to me. It's always on purpose. And 5G, now they're going to go to 6G. And and down here in Southern California, I've seen quite a few chemtrails the last few days. And I noticed that during the riots, there were a lot of chemtrails over L.A. And we had a lot of riots down here, uh, as you know. And... Do these chemicals and does uh, maybe not you might you might not know anything about the five or six G, but would all this also change the moods of people and influence their behavior? Is my question. Well, yes, a resounding yes on both questions. Um, okay. We can start with five G. Um, here's mm-hmm. here's the information I have on that. Here's a study. Um, I've got it at NCBI. It's uh, people can go. See this. This is another study that's uh, on the Global Skywatch website. A lot of information there. Cell porous, uh, cell poration, and cell fusion using an oscillating electric field. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. What? Yep. What this talks about is the military has experimented with uh, dispersing some kind of a of a of a toxin in the air at very low uh, concentrations. If you then uh, and there'll be no toxic effects to the population, no, no, nothing really noticeable, nothing quantifiable. When you uh, expose that group of people to the same concentration and same type of toxin, and then you expose them to certain frequencies of electromagnetic fields, or RF, EMF, you know, uh, certain uh, uh, electromagnetic fields at certain frequencies, because the frequency matters. Right. You actually create a situation where you increase what's called cell wall poricity. Poricity meaning pore, like you have a hole in something, you have a pore. Well, cell wall poricity is increased when certain frequencies uh, encounter a cell. 
and they were able to take what would have normally been a benign amount of a toxin that would show no effect in a, no quantifiable effect in a population and actually make it fatal yeah when the uh, when they were exposed to the high frequency radiation meaning emf radiation not nuclear radiation like a lot of people think the word radiation but emf uh, electromotive force rf um frequencies so a big yes that when you mix um uh frequencies you make airborne toxins or anything that's in your body uh your natural cell defenses that cell wall you're going to open it up increase the porosity and you're essentially increasing or magnifying the toxicity of whatever toxin is in your system and when you're breathing small particles like this what we see from science is that if those particles are sufficiently small which i believe they are they're obviously smaller than 0.3 micron and some uh sources have uh, suggested they're much smaller than that that when you breathe them in they're in your blood in seconds now i can attest to this and i'll tell you why there's a certain additive i call it the additive and i can one day i'll have to explain what i call the difference between a chemtrail and additive but an additive in brief is something that is a certain uh substance that occurs with multiple chemtrail types so you might have type a and it will have the in, what i would call the inflammatory additive and then you have chemtrail type C and that one also occurs oftentimes with the inflammatory additive but not always so over the years i've developed this system where i've named the chemtrails and i've named the additives and i've categorized them either as a chemtrail type or an additive based on whether or not they occur on their own so the inflammatory type doesn't occur on its own it always occurs with some other type any one of a few set of types of chemtrails that i can taste but the uh, inflammatory additive never occurs on its own so saying all that to say that these airborne particles that come into your lungs are in your blood in seconds and i believe that wholeheartedly because when i begin to taste and smell this in the air my inflammatory reaction happens within seconds within 15 seconds i can actually feel the pressure in my lungs and in my heart and if this is the right type because there's different types so it's more complicated than what people think it's not just one chemtrail type there's a bunch of different types um and then 30 seconds 60 seconds later you can see the veins in my arms start to stick out as my blood pressure my body just feels like it's blowing up like a balloon inflammation is pushing against my arterial system my arteries and and creating high blood pressure and you will see and this happens with lower at the exact same time every time exact same time when they spray the inflammatory type i feel the lung pain i feel the heart pain chief in the muscle and joint pain happens afterward she feels the muscle and in joint pain and both of our veins will stick out of our arms like we are doing a very intense workout mm-hmm. so and this happens within 60 seconds it begins sooner but the the pain begins sooner but the vein sticking out of your arms will happen within 60 seconds after and then within just a few minutes those veins will be just popping out of my arm like crazy wow so yeah so those airborne particles wow. are in you very quickly and then when you mix those with radio frequencies of certain frequencies then you can increase cell wall porosity and then now you have a military grade weapon system yeah now talking wow. about the 
moods of people, you asked. Now, I remember Prince did an interview, Prince the Entertainer. Oh, yeah. He did an interview years ago, and he said it was funny that they would see trails in the sky, but whenever they would see those long, persistent trails in the sky, everybody would start fighting. That's exactly what he said. Huh. Now, I want I want to tell people this this is a perfect segue into something that Laura and I would love to share with people because we think it's epi- it's basically a silent epidemic and it involves chemtrails and we have solutions. That's the beautiful part. We understand the system. We've made the connection between a component in chemtrails and why it changes people's moods. Scientifically made the connection. And the nice thing about it is those people who are feeling ang- anxiety, panic attacks, anger, depression, bipolar, uh, heightened emotions, uh, all of these types of things, we can tie that uh, to a component in chemtrails that has to do with your question, changing the moods of people. Like I said earlier, I've actually witnessed uh, children and even adults changing their behavior when certain types are in the air and they will start to act differently Adults usually get tired. Um, they kind of are not into being social anymore. They're like, okay, I'm getting tired. I'd like to go off. Children will become ornery, start arguing, become hyper. That's usually the effect I see in children. And this always coincides with certain types of chemtrails that have an additive that I call the mercury additive because the symptoms are identical to mercury poisoning, which I happen to be extremely familiar with. So do chemtrails affect the moods of people? Mercury, which Dr. Marvin Herndon has shown is a component in chemtrails through his research, and he's published a paper on it, which was redacted, by the way, by the, by the, uh, the journal. Nevertheless, he's a very smart guy. He's a nuclear physicist. He published a paper that showed, um, using the residue from snow, that the metallic signature of the proportions of metals found in snow residue were identical to that found in coal fly ash. And the stuff you find in coal fly ash is lead, arsenic, cadmium, uh, you know, beryllium, all kinds of horrible stuff. But Mm. the big one for me, the big one that you find is mercury and mercury in chemtrails, and actually, he actually his paper, uh, his paper is actually entitled. Let me get the title right for you. It's called "Contamination of the Biosphere with Mercury: Another Potential Consequence of Ongoing Climate Manipulation Using Aerosolized Coal Fly Ash." That's the wow. title. You know these 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 papers. They 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 have long titles, but that's the title of that paper, and he specifically mentions mercury. Okay, contamination of the biosphere with mercury is the beginning of his title because of the mercury present and because of the incredible, incredibly profound effects that mercury has on your health over the long term. It's been associated with 200 of the most common diseases in existence today. I'm not making this up. It's been associated with 200 of the most common diseases. It's not because of a coincidence. It's because the pharmaceutical company and dentistry has exposed the population of mercury. So naturally, now that everybody's exposed, these diseases that are mercury diseases are the ones that are prevalent. It's just logic. So anyway, does it affect the moods of people? Oh, you bet. And Laura and I are ready, whenever you're ready, to talk about 
what's called the COMT system, which is the catechol O methyltransferase system in the human body, which actually profoundly affects your dopamine, your epinephrine, your norepinephrine, and your estrogens. Um, and it's regulated, it's modulated with in the presence of mercury, which changes your mood. So it shows the connection between mercury and hyperactivity, hyperemotionalism, bipolar uh, disorders, ADD, ADHD potentially. Of course, I think to me that's just logical, of course. I mean, I, I know how it affected, how mercury affected me. Your mind starts racing, your memory degrades, you have fits of anger, you have fits of depression, you have panic attacks, you can't sleep, your mind races. Uh, mercury also depletes GABA aminobutyric, gamma aminobutyric acid, which is a neuroregulator in your body, which actually slows down the nerve impulses over your synapses. So that neuroregulator is depleted in the presence of mercury. So not only is mercury shutting down what's called the COMT system, which regulates dopamine and uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine. Epinephrine is your is adrenaline. Right. Another name for adrenaline. Not only does mercury affect that, and we now know the mechanism, but it also depletes your one of your chief uh, neuroregulators, GABA amino, gamma amino butyric acid. So that's a subject that if you you know people who you want the science behind it, you want to know the connection because mainstream media will lie to you. They will lie to your face day after day. They will they will skirt around the science. They will produce fake studies and they'll glamorize the fake studies. They will hide this kind of information from you all day long. But we now know the connection. Well, if you want to do, you know, you feel free to, to go into it, Matt. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Well, Laura, I have dominated. this. <laughs> I've got passion about this subject, and I thank you gentlemen so much for giving us the opportunity to talk. So thank you for bearing with my long-winded answers. I appreciate that. that. Laura, well, forgive me as well. Don't ask for forgiveness because we asked you questions, and you answered the questions. No, no, yeah. this, is, this is great, Rusk, because you, you tie it all together. And so, you know, I'll pop in with a few comments here and there, but you just go for it. You're on a roll. Well, Laura, you've got the science right there. Laura is the one who researched uh, for our company. We started our company in, in 97, and we published uh, scientific, herb, uh, scientific information about herbs and vitamins because we had learned so much researching to keep ourselves functional and alive while we were mercury poisoned because we didn't know it was mercury. It took us years to figure out what was wrong with us. Right. And then when, we, when I had my fillings removed, Within 24 hours, I had 17 physical symptoms that diminished 85% in 24 hours, I believe including it. ringing in the ears, my racing thoughts so I couldn't sleep at night, sweating at night, and gastrointestinal issues, which are always accompany, always accompany autistic children, by the way, and we know why. We know why. Mm -hmm. um, all of this stuff is in the science that mainstream media won't tell you. But anyway... So Laura's got the Laura did all this research and that's how we started our company because we had accumulated so much research because Laura is absolutely brilliant. She's a walking encyclopedia and she really hates when I puff her up like this, but she, it, it is true. I'm, I'm honored to be in business with her. I'm not the I'm not the brain. I'm the technical guy. She's the researcher. So Laura, why don't you tell us about COMT then? 
Take it away, Laura. <laughs> not, not to put you on the spot or anything. But, you know. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I've, I've just enjoyed listening to, to you talking and answering the questions. And, you know, you guys were talking about the, the rioting in, in California and, um, you know, do chemtrails affect that? And I know on our last radio show with you guys, which didn't turn out, you know, because of the recording, we kind of covered some of this. So, um, just to kind of recap, definitely chemtrails can affect um, people's emotional state. And part of that is because of this COMT system that Russ was referring to. And um, basically it's, it's a, you know, they're, they're, People have, you know, genetic makeups that make them predisposed to having, uh, either normal COMT activity or they may have less, you know, hypo or more hyper COMT activity. And it was interesting doing this research because I realized that most people either have low to possibly moderate COMT activity. And what that means is that their bodies are not breaking down the catecholamines that, like Russ was talking about, the dopamine, nor norepinephrine and epinephrine. They're not breaking down these neurotransmitters that actually in some cases can also work like hormones. They're not breaking them down fast enough. So you end up with... Um, too much of these neurotransmitters um, functioning in the, the frontal cortex of the brain. Um, and so it, that affects your emotional state. Um, it's kind of like, like if you were to give a child sugar and watch them get all you know, hyped up. You, you see what happens when you give the kids sugar that, you know, their, their behavior degenerates. They, they lose their self control. And that's what's going on in the frontal lobe, um, from having excess catecholamines. That's the analogy because the frontal lobe is getting overstimulated and, you know, becoming dysfunctional. And so people start having, you know, these deeper emotional impulses increase and, and, you know, they manifest as anxiety or fear or, Worry, even paranoia, OCD behaviors, you know, ADD, ADHD, you know, all these brain-based concerns, um, and this lack of self-control and, and impulsive behaviors. So isn't it interesting that you witnessed all this chemtrail spraying, and then you've got people out in the streets riding? And I would be very um, certain that the majority of people out there riding are the very same people that if you were, you know, to do a genetic test on them, they would be people who were not breaking down their catecholamines. They had low COMT activity and therefore they had a much higher propensity to this overstimulation of this, of, you know, th these kinds of behaviors. And then you spray stuff that just puts them right over the top. So, right, right. Um, and you know, yeah. in the association, Laura, what is that? What is the association? What is it about mercury that that triggers the the change in uh, COMT activity? Which means when you you know when you're exposed to mercury, your COMT system uh, comes to a halt or at least slows dramatically down. And oh, absolutely. Because that system slows down. You're not breaking down your dopamine, your norepinephrine, and your epinephrine and your estrogens. 
So yeah, mercury toxicity. Mercury? Well, mercury toxicity or or mercury exposure inhibits that COMT activity because it actually inhibits um, what is known as S-adenosylmethionine uh, or SAM. Some people know it as SAME, um, which is basically a coenzyme for COMT. So by mercury's inhibiting the SAM, it inhibits. It in turn inhibits COMT. Right. And now there's three genetic types of people who have different COMT systems. There's people who are called what they're called Valval, Valmet, and Metmet. And Val, what is that chemical name, Laura? Valine. Valine. Acid. So basically the, 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 uh, the enzyme... Now, we're talking about COMT system, which stands for catechol O-methyltransferase. And you might, people might realize, you know, when, it, when we hear that ACE at the end, like lipase or protease or, or that, that suffix is usually talking about an enzyme. And so we're talking about an enzyme that breaks down your adrenaline, norepinephrine, and your dopamine, and your estrogens. So if that enzyme is not produced or uh, or is not produced, then you're not breaking those things down, and those um, those mood hormones are allowed to just go crazy, and they change the way you feel. They ruin your sleep. They can absolutely ruin your life, and then contribute to even addictive behavior. Um, besides, you know, the hyperactivity, the panic attacks, the emotional problems that it causes when these things are out of balance. Now, with those three genetic types, if somebody wants a solution. You can get tested. You can go to like Life Extension Labs or something like that, and they'll send you a test, and you send it in, and I don't know, it's probably $100 plus or minus something. I don't know. Um, and you can find out whether you are Val-Val, Val-Met, or Met-Met. Now, what this means is that molecule that is breaking down the catecholamines is made up of, was it valine? How do you say that, Lauren? Valine, mm-hmm. Valine, okay. You either have got two valine in that, um, I think it's in, uh, in that amino acid or that, that, that part of the molecule, or you have a valine and a methionine. So if you have a valine and a methionine, that's called a valmet. So you'll be a valmet person. So you got a met, you got a valval, which is two valine, you got a valmet, and then you have another segment of the population that is metmet. Now, the people who are met-met are the ones who are the most affected. This is about 30% of Europeans. It affects, uh, as far as we know, all racial groups. But just to give a, uh, you know, some of the studies we found actually talked about uh, what some of the profiles for Europeans were. And it was about 30% of Europeans are met-met. Now, met stands for methionine. Methionine is a sulfur-bearing amino acid. And methionine binds because it's a sulfur-based amino acid the sulfur in methionine will bind to mercury very quickly and so when mercury is present in your body your methionine becomes rapidly depleted and so in those people whose catecholamine uh, system is based on met met based on methionine has two methionine amino acids because that methionine is depleted they have a four to five times more difficult ability to break down catecholamine. So it's a dramatic difference with those met-met people. The people who are valmet, now the valine is not affected by mercury, but the methionine is. 
So they, the Valmet people, have one, one amino acid that is not affected, and then one, the, the methionine, that is. So they are somewhat affected by mercury in terms of their mood. We're just talking about mood now, of course. Right. If you're exposed to mercury, it breaks down. It, it messes with every body system. Every, every body system will suffer and disease will result over time um, in that person, whether or not you feel it or not. Okay, just because of chemistry. But as far as mood goes, the Valmet people, which consist of about 50% of Europeans, will be affected somewhat uh, by mercury and their moods will change and shift. The Val-Val people are the least affected by mercury. So if people, if, if there's people out there who have tremendous anxiety, who have these problems, who have the bipolar or hyperactivity, or their, their thoughts won't stop, they have insomnia, they can't sleep, uh, just high anxiety, you can go get one of these tests, find out if you are MET-MET or Val-MET, and now because you know that you're being uh, sprayed with mercury, which is a, probably in a very, very small form, because it's very, very tiny, the mercury that you're breathing in, is, uh, has a very large surface area. It's got a large binding area. So when it goes in your lungs, uh, distributes in your blood, your methionine levels drop, and it changes your mood. So to answer that question 20 minutes later, <laughs> uh, I know, I know, I talk, I get going about no, this. No, but, no, this is good. <laughs> but those, this is good. Can, it, can mercury make people violent? Can mercury make people, because mercury does other things like it will lower uh, blood sugar, mercury will affect kidney operation, will affect your uh, insulin uh, operation, it will affect your neuroregulators like ga uh, GABA that we talked about before. It will affect inflammation, which will raise blood pressure, lower oxygen uh, levels. It will break down your kidney tissue. It interferes with liver function. I mean, it just does. Uh, it's unbelievable what mercury does. It, it's uh, it's a, you can spend your life studying what mercury does, and I've spent part of my life doing that actually, because it's so pervasive and it affects so many people, and now it affects everybody to some degree or another because it's everywhere. And you can find articles. I have a collection of articles on Global Skywatch uh, because throughout the 2000s, you know, Science Magazine and Time and Newsweek had all these articles that came out and said. Mercury is found in the Grand Canyon, and scientists are scratching their head. They don't know why. Mercury has been found in, in San Francisco. Mercury has been found in Arizona. We're finding mercury out in the middle of nowhere, and no scientist knows why. Well, we know why. Yeah. We, Dr. Herndon, Herndon knows why. We know why. But science, uh, they put out these articles, I think, just to confuse the issue, to try to, to make people... They, they try to get ahead of an issue and they condition the public not to ask questions or, or say, well, science already knows that. It's not something we should be surprised about and they're looking for the cause. Um, no, really, they're publishing articles to precondition the public so that when other scientists come out with this information saying, wow, mercury's everywhere, it feels like an old issue. It's like, well, everybody knows about that. It's already been in the science community for a decade or two and so we're not going to really, you know, it's not something that's worth you know, studying or it's not a new discovery. And so it's kind of their way of getting ahead of an issue to buffer its, uh, its psychological effect. Right. So getting back. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you can find all these articles throughout the two thousands that talk about this unbelievable amount of mercury that's being found. And then of course, early on, they tried to blame it on Chinese power, uh, coal burning power plants, which is ridiculous. I mean, for multiple reasons, but 
the final nail in the coffin was that the California Air Resources Board, CARB, uh, did a study on the metals that were being blamed on Chinese uh, power plants. They didn't specifically talk about mercury in that study, but they talked about other metals. And they proved, because of the structures they found, uh, that this was not coming from coal-burning power plants from China. Uh, mm. So the mystery remained. After CARB came out with their article, that was for their study, that was wonderful uh, validation for us in the public eye to say, look, it's not coming from China, folks. You can't get mercury to travel that far because mercury is so reactive, especially with salt. You know, in fact, uh, when chlorine is processed, one of the side effects is mercury. You know, I mean, they here in Bangor, they uh, decades ago, they dumped mercury into the uh, the what's the name of that river, Laura? Penobscot. Yes, Penobscot. Yeah, the Thank Penobscot <laughs> in Bangor. Yeah, there was a factory that uh, you know manufactured chlorine, and uh, they would they dumped tons and tons of mercury. Of course, that was outlawed a long time ago, and so on and so forth. So you can't get mercury to travel that far because it's just so reactive, especially over the sea, because the salt in the sea is going to react to it. And, right, but anyway, right. so so there's the story about the COMT system, people's moods. So can you spray mercury over a population and make them highly emotionalized? Absolutely. And now we know exactly why. Okay. So I got a question for you. Um, and maybe it's, maybe we don't know the answer, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Is it possible that through some kind of uh, mechanism, kind of like pheromones, uh, act in, uh, you know, between men and women, um, is it possible that uh, Val-Val people and Val-Med people or Med-Med people are, are somehow attracted to one another? Because it seems like this problem with the rioting and everything is happening mostly in cities um, and in certain areas of cities, too. It's not just in the whole city. It's just in certain areas. So is it possible that Met-Met people are attracted to Met- other Met-Met people uh, Valmet people are attracted to Valmet people, and maybe Val Val people are just the ones that live out in the country and don't <laughs> and, and <laughs> really don't care. Uh, you know, it's just it's just something I want to throw out there. Maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't, maybe you know. So, yeah, I have thought about that. I don't know the answer, and I haven't seen any study on that kind of demographic. But um, we have seen where. The people who are met met are considered the dreamers and the artists. I have that right, right, Laura? I mean, the met mets are kind of considered the dreamers, the artists, kind of the Steve Jobs kind of people. They're usually very brilliant. Um, yeah, they you're burn, geniuses. Yeah. yeah, they burn out early because they're always on high dopamine, high epinephrine. You know, they're in high gear, but they're very smart, very perceptive. They're always doing something, always doing something. Uh, but they've got to be careful with their anxiety because it can shorten well, their lifespan. Are, are they typically then right-brained? And, and another question would be, are they left-handed <laughs> because they're right-brained? Uh, yeah, good question. It's usually right-brained people that are the ones that are uh, the creative ones, the singers, the artists, and everything else. And and the left-brained people are the ones that use, um, uh, you know, that uh, think about things and are the philosophers and stuff like that. So um, I'm just wondering, you know, that that brings another whole question into the uh, into the fray. You know, are they typically right brain people that are met? Well, I think what you probably run into, and this is just me hypothesizing, is that uh, a met met person and a val val person 
um, uh, may not be as attracted to each other because the Val Val person is going to be very methodical, very structured, you know, doing things according to a schedule, doing the budget. And then the Met Met person is going to be go, 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 go. I don't want to deal with a budget. I've got things to do. I'm going to create some stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to, uh, create a new technology, whatever. And so, there, you know, in my hypothesis, you, you are going to have met, met people and, and maybe even Val met people who are, tend to be more attracted to each other. And then maybe the, the Val, Val people and Val met people will have some attraction, but I think you're going to have, uh, kind of a differential between uh, the Val Val and the Met Met because they're just going to be so different that they're probably just going to frustrate each other. You know, the Val Val is going to be frustrated with the irresponsibility of the Met Met and the Met Met is going to be frustrated with the structure and the lack of vision of the Val Val, you know. But I think the world needs every, you know, the world needs all of these types of people. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so we need to appreciate the people who are structured because that helps us. And the structure people need to appreciate the dreamers because they're the ones who help everyone as well. So uh, there's there's a complicated interaction that takes place that I think is very intelligently designed, if you want to know the truth. I've thought a lot about that. Even the, the emotional interaction between people is a science that most people don't talk about. But even you know, for civilization to exist, the, the, the neurochemicals and the, and the uh, hormones in the body had to be structured in such a way that civilizations wouldn't just destroy each other. Right. And right. Uh, yeah, so there's a whole area you can get into in that. So, so yeah, I do think to answer your question that met, met and Val met people tend probably to hang together more. Hmm. Interesting. I swear, I swear uh, people in Portland, Oregon are, are, are probably all met, met because they're out, <laughs> the street. They're out in the street uh, nine, every day protesting about something. Um, so anyway, yeah. Plus they could, yeah. Plus they can concentrate this in areas. I can't tell you how often. Like we'll be driving into Bangor. Like I said, I live out in the country, but we'll drive into Bangor to get groceries and stuff and supplies, and uh, I'll, we'll drive in and out of Plumes. You know, we'll we'll drive. Usually, uh, I'm hit out here worse than you know. They seem to really like my house. I'll tell you, when I get within a few miles of my house, it usually gets worse. But the plumes are are pretty well defined. We'll drive into it. I'm like, oh, we just got a plume. We just drove into a plume, and then I'll probably have to put a wet mask on to help protect myself, or if it if it burns bad enough. Um, so they can, you know, I believe that that uh, you know, if you know the drop rate of these substances they're dropping, if you know the winds at each layer in the atmosphere, you can, you can target areas pretty well once you, yeah. once you have all the data. Yeah. You know, it's also another interesting thing that I just hit me. Um, and that's what things usually slap me upside the head. Um, but, um, it, it could be possible that the, uh, we know from scripture that there's, there's principalities and powers that are over different areas of the, you know, um, of, uh, di- di- different demographic areas or geographic areas, um, you know, we, we know that from the Prince of Persia um, account, Daniel, but um, it's possible maybe that uh, that it, the, the Val Val or the Val Med or the Vet, Met Med have to do with something with uh, with that, too, with the with the spiritual powers that are over certain areas. Uh, this is just blossoming into a whole study category here. That's just. Oh, no. It's amazing. Yeah, what you're. Yeah, what you're saying is so on target because, and we talked about this in the show that where the audio didn't work out, but um, 
where there's a couple religions called uh, uh, Vodun and Santeria, uh-huh. where they actually use mercury to allow possession. And if you learn about how possession works and how spiritual, we call it spiritual induction or, or when somebody's oppressed, um, uh, the people who tend to be vulnerable to that are the ones who are less structured, people right. who are more emotional. Well, you can get a population emotional by exposing them to mercury because it messes up their dopamine, norepinephrine, their epinephrine, and their estrogens. Now, I keep messing. We didn't go cover the estrogens, but that's another thing about the feminization of men is that exposing the mercury raises estrogen levels because the COMT system also breaks down estrogens. As just an aside there, that's a whole nother, whole nother thing that mercury does through the COMT system. But huh. – um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But, uh, hey, yeah. I, well, I have a question, too, again. Um, so, okay. It's not an interrupt. It's, no, go ahead, Brian. It's not an interruption. Yeah, no, yeah. No, please, I just, please. Yeah, go right ahead, please. Yeah, it's, um, ours, like, they're using aircraft now to, to produce these chemtrails with these chemicals. But I've noticed in the last few years, especially this last year, uh, SpaceX, NASA, and several other countries are on a mission to put hundreds, if not thousands, of satellites in orbit. Uh, I think it was SpaceX just last week, or was it, uh, was it Israel, sent up one rocket and it had 12 satellites on it. Right. And I know Tesla, or excuse me, SpaceX, same thing. His mission is to put 70 or 100 satellites up there for cell service. So no matter where you're at in the world, you'll have a cell signal. It doesn't matter if you're on Everest. You'll be able to make a call. And so I guess I'm saying this. And now and also they have these space planes. Um, they're kind of a conspiracy, but not really, not as much anymore. They're pretty much allowing people to see them. Uh, and I don't think it's by accident these space planes fly suborbit at five to 10,000 miles an hour. And now you have all these satellites. Is this the next generation of mind control? Is this the next generation of chemtrails? Instead of chemtrails, uh, they're bombarding us with other things. Besides, these things are probably used for military uses. But um, I know that uh, Bill Gates and these world elites want to depopulate the Earth. That's what they, they talk about. And they're, they actually have said it. And what a better way to depopulate the earth and get everybody sick uh, and take them out that way. Or you can control a demographic. You control South Africa. You can cause a famine or you can cause sickness or a plague or, or whatever it is and target people. Are these? Do you think these kind of platforms could be used for that type of situation and, and they get away from the chemtrails and start going to more even high tech? Well, absolutely. A, cu- a couple things that I would throw out there is. Uh, many places, including where we live, for the last several years, you don't see the long, persistent trails in the sky anymore. Right. And I saw this happen in Jamestown. It happened in 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 a space of four days in Jamestown, where they were the sky looked like a war zone, and then and then the fifth day, the trails were all short and they were spraying at higher altitudes. And I saw this happen here as well in in the Bangor area, where I mean, back in 2010 through 2018. Uh, you could go into Bangor and it would look like a war zone in the sky, which was mind blowing. Because like, is anybody noticing this? You know, people. It's like nobody's. 
they just think this is normal. But now look in the, you go into Bangor and you'll hardly ever see these. You'll see, you'll see if you look carefully, you got to stand and really look carefully. You'll see, you'll see jets at high altitude leaving non-persistent trails. Once in a while you'll see a persistent trail, but it's nothing like it was a few years ago. So they're hiding the trails from people. And that's kind of part of the whole idea, you know, uh, because Many, many people were, have been catching on that this really is happening. More and more people are smelling. As people become more toxic, they tend to smell and taste them more. Um, that seems to be part of the mechanism. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about the chemistry of how that works, but it it's definitely seems to be a, tem- a, a, a tendency. So as um, as people have been noticing more and more, they want to cover them up. Now, putting all the satellites up in orbit, they want to, uh, you know, blanket the whole Earth in, in radio frequencies. Right. You know, high radio, for, you know, 5G, 6G, and stuff that goes up into the anywhere from 300 megahertz up into the multiple gigahertz. Um, and uh, some of these things, like the 5G range, these are frequencies that are used as military weapons. You know, they're used in, in some of the um, some of the military uh, uh, targeting and uh, uh for for populations so you know absolutely you're going to increase cell wall pericity you're going to you're going to have all this effect you've got the toxicity in air that people are already breathing as i said earlier you go you fly in a jet and you'll see that the whole atmosphere is just shining it this is not was not this way 20 30 years ago you know i used to sit in the window and look now you have this atmosphere that is that is aerosolized and ionized and so now not only Check this out. Not only can you hurt people and profit from it if you uh, own the uh, pharmaceutical, or if you at least you control most of it, the pharmaceutical uh, complex like the Rockefeller family does, for instance, but also when you ionize the atmosphere, you actually increase the propagation of electromagnetic uh, uh, waves. So RF travels much more efficiently through an ionized atmosphere. In other words, when you have all these metal particles, in there, you're going to get a much stronger conduction of your RF. Now, I'll give people this this uh, illustration who are not into electronics. Electronics is my field, so it makes sense to me. But you can see, uh, if you go on YouTube, you might be able to see this from years ago. They had this funny demonstration on television where they actually put a television live. They put a television uh, in a tank of water, and it still worked underwater. And everybody was ooing and eyeing, like, oh, that's really wild. That's what... Well, what they do to the water is they actually purify the water and take the minerals out. And when you take all the minerals out of the water, water is no longer conductive. It's insulated. Right. So you can put a television or electronic equipment underwater, and old televisions that have tubes have high volts, hundreds of volts. In fact, the flyback transformer has thousands of volts on it. Well, it doesn't matter because water is becoming an insulator when it doesn't have minerals. The atmosphere is the same thing. When the air without minerals is an insulator, but air with minerals becomes a conductor, and it also conducts RF much more efficiently, which is going to make their distribution of 5G and 6G and whatever other frequency uh, brands they want to use much, much more efficient. So, yeah, so that's one very interesting aspect to it. And I remember several years ago, I think it was in Texas, if I remember right, they had this weird anomaly that took place and everybody was scratching their heads. And people in that area, in our group, were telling us that when this event happened, the spraying was absolutely horrible. 
and the air was so thick with this stuff, they just overdid it. They just, they sprayed like, well, of course, any amount is overdoing it, but they just did it. They sprayed so heavily in that area. And here's what happened. They had set, and you can look this up in the news, 75 transformers on poles shorted out. And it took wow. out a part of the grid. Wow. And they don't, everybody's scratching their head not knowing why. Well, once again, we know why. When you, right. aerosol, when you aerosolize the atmosphere, when you ionize the atmosphere, and you put all these metal particles and you make it more conductive, you've got these power lines and these transformers that are holding 10,000, 30,000, 90,000, 150,000 volts. They're going to start arcing and they're going to short because now the air has become a conductor instead of an insulator. Wow. So, a, so yes, wow. that ties no it together with the satellites. Yeah, yeah, no coincidence. I mean, there's... You know, nothing magic here. It's all physics. It's all, you know, except where it's spiritual, because there is a spiritual side that you brought up about the, you know, Revelation 18.23 is one of my favorite ones where it says the merchants were the great men of the earth for by your sorcery were the nations deceived. And the word sorcery is the word pharmakia, which means the drug or poison. I know you guys know all about this. Right. So in the, the merchants were the powerful men of the earth. The word great means powerful when you look it up in the original language. So these merchants deceived the world by drugging and poisoning, which is what the word pharmakia, which is what sorcery is translated from, really right. means. So there it is, folks. The world will be drugged and poisoned, and that's going to facilitate a great deception shortly before the return of Christ. That's there it right. is in Revelation 18.23. Well, you know, also, um, let me ask you this. If you... If you look at all the particles that are being put in the air, what a, what better way to make a, a screen to where you could show a hologram? You know, and, yeah, and the Project Bible talks Luke. about the yeah, Bible talks about uh, he he can make it look as though fire is falling from the sky. Okay. Yes. It, False signs and what lying signs and wonders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, oh goodness, I my brain doesn't work very good anymore, and I had a question I was going to throw out there. But okay, yeah, that's what, that's what it was. Um, now, we we kind of have a, a an idea of what Tesla was was messing around with, and one of the things he wanted to do was make it so that uh, energy was free, and uh, and you know that he could send uh, alternating current throughout, you know, just throughout the air, and and you know just just your your uh, whatever you're running, your computer, your television would just pick up that energy and be able to run. Which I think is, you know, in, in some ways is a good idea. In some ways, it's really dangerous. But um, <clears throat> recently, um, President Trump has said that um, that uh, in, in the very near future, we're going to have technologies that uh, one could not even imagine. And he, he mentioned travel. We'd be able to travel uh, places uh, a lot quicker. Another thing he mentioned was that oil would be, only be used as a lubricant. It wouldn't be used um, as a propellant anymore, uh, meaning gasoline and diesel and stuff like that. And um, so I'm wondering if the uh, the aerosolation of the uh, of the atmosphere, if they're what they're trying to do is to create that uh, that medium that the uh, the free energy could flow through, um, and that could be a good thing and a bad thing, of course. But um, you know, is there are just so many ways we can go with this whole subject. You know, it's, it's, it's like an octopus with a thousand legs on it. <laughs> you know, it's, 
Um, well, I, I, I actually know a, I have a friend of mine's brother is in the military and is in a classified. Uh, he does something classified. And of course, I don't know what it is. But he made a statement to my friend. This is a good friend I knew since I was a child. He told him on the phone because they were having a chat one time and in, in, uh, his brother was still in the military. And he said to him, uh, he said, like, uh, like my friend was asking him, what are you doing? What are you involved? He said, well, I can't tell you that. And I can't tell you what technology or I can't tell you the technology I'm involved in. And he said, but I can tell you this. Imagine the most advanced science fiction movie you've ever seen, the most advanced technology that you've seen in a science fiction movie. He said, we are way beyond that. Wow. And he said, that's all I can say. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you think about it, yeah, I personally believe military technology is 40 to 50 years beyond what they allow the public to have knowledge of. I right. agree with that statement. Yeah. So if you if people can imagine, you know, where they where they think that will be and talking, you know, I wanted to also mention this, this is kind of related about the lying signs and wonders that we were touching on before too. imagine one of the mechanisms that you could use to fool the people into believing that an antichrist is actually Christ. Imagine that the antichrist is in Jerusalem and he is one of the globalists. He's one of the ones who are it's part of the new world order. Obviously he's part of the whole world system, the revived Roman empire, whatever people uh, like to call it. who are studying prophecy. Um, so, Here's here's one of the things I think will happen is that we have so much illness today. I mean, you, you can hardly know a family does, doesn't have somebody who's got some kind of chronic uh, issue, illness issue going on today. Right. It's just all over the place. Imagine that this person in Jerusalem uh, waves his hand around, and says, I'm going to bless the whole world and I'm going to take away your disease and I'm going to take away your illness. And then what the globalists do is they stop spraying. Right. Maybe they still need to have jets that leave trails, so they'll actually start just pumping water into the bypass airstream and making uh, just water vapor that truly is harmless, and they'll stop distributing all of the toxins. And then people who have lupus, people who have uh, diseases, uh, autoimmune diseases, people who have vision problems because mercury changes the interocular eye pressure and will actually make you near farsighted. So you're so without being exposed to this, your eyesight will improve. Huh. Your fatigue goes away. Your mood improves. You feel calm. That's what I feel because I'm a met met, by the way. So I'm very sensitive to mercury. And so when we get hit with one of those mercury plumes, I feel anxious. Anxiety is one of the main things. And we didn't talk about the solution for that for, for vet, uh, met, met met people, by the way, but just came to my mind, but, um, which I use and it works very well. Um, uh, so he waves his hand. He says, I'm going to give the world a blessing. Then the globalists start spraying water vapor instead of mercury all over the place. And then people start getting better. Their uh, immune, system, uh, immune system works better. Uh, people are a le lot less sick. Their eyesight starts improving. They feel better. They're calmer. They have peace, especially the Met Met and the Valmet people. And it's all, it's all just a lying sign and wonder to convince the world that this guy is who he's claiming to be. So that's just one thing I wanted to throw out there because I think that that, that may be one of the major uh, lies that they try to fool the world with, possibly. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I have no doubt about it. Uh, what is the uh, the cure, so to speak, of uh, 
all the anxiety and everything since we have some time you said we you know we wanted to touch upon that and uh, uh, for the met met people and and everybody actually uh, what is the uh, uh, the cure the uh, the 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 mixture the remedy of of that uh, I mean aside from it being God of course but uh, yeah. Uh, in, in earthly terms, and in, in, in compounds or anything else, what do you see that being? Well, absolutely. I would I would preface it by saying uh, I can't say it's a cure because I'm not a doctor, and of course we're right. not. You know, if you're if you're not a doctor, you're not allowed to cure anything by law. You're not even allowed to claim that there's a cure. So uh, this isn't a cure. I'm just talking for entertainment purposes, and I'm talking about my own experience. So. Here's what I can tell about my experience, and I can tell you what I've read in the scientific literature. In fact, I'd love Laura to do that. Laura, I know you're just going to love me for turning the mic over to you, but you want to you want to share the uh, the solution that I'm using that's working wonderfully for uh, the heart arrhythmia. I mean, my dopamine, my epinephrine and norepinephrine was so high. I mean, I didn't have it measured, but I felt it. I felt such tremendous anxiety, and I have used this particular supplement. And even it was it was even causing uh, 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 heart arrhythmia. I was having a lot of heart arrhythmia to the point where it was it was very scary. Um, that's under control now, and I want to share this because I've heard so many people in the last months because I have a lot of contact with people online in our groups. Heart arrhythmia is very common today. Yeah, um, so I raised my hand. <laughs> Okay, yeah. yeah. And it can be scary. For me, it was scary. There's a number of times I almost went to the emergency room. But thank God I now know what's going on with me through these tests. And I am using a supplement, a uh, couple supplements actually, that have, that are, um, that are actually, actually changing my life. Um, Laura, do you want to share what those are and then I'll expound on them? Well, are you talking about the SAMe and magnesium? That's the one. See, there you go. You're so, Take it away. You're so good. Yeah, Laura just loves being in the public eye. She she loves it less than I do. I oh, that's funny. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll do it then, Laura. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I can tell. I can tell you. You want me to explain this? Okay. Um, uh, magnesium. Uh, magnesium actually helps. Uh, the uh, breakdown of catecholamine or helps the COMT system work to break down catecholamines. Um, it, uh, but the first thing I'll talk about is SAMe, and I don't even, uh, Laura, you, I can't even pronounce that that uh, chemical right. I always trip over my tongue. But how do you say that? Acetylmethionine. Acetylmethionine. Yeah, I, I don't. Think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I maybe okay. myself. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a very it's a very common uh, supplement that you can go to most health food stores and you can find it. It's called SAMe, S-A-M-E, is usually what it's called. And SAMe is actually what's called a methyl donor. And it actually donates part of its molecule to form methionine. So what it does is it actually counteracts the action that happens when you're when a val when a met met or valmet person is exposed to mercury and their methionine drops, you can take SAMe to get your methionine levels back up uh, again. And for me personally, magnesium and SAMe. In fact, magnesium is so popular, people are just like they're saying it's helping me sleep. It's a phenomenon today. There's groups on Facebook that are dedicated to magnesium therapy. Right. Once again. 
everybody's wondering why. Why suddenly in history is magnesium the golden pill, you know, the golden supplement that changed? Well, we know why. We know why. Because magnesium actually helps the COMT system. Uh, and you can jump in any time with, your, with any science you want to, to if, you know, if you want to share any details, Laura. But, but okay. basically, the magnesium uh, works with the COMT system uh, because it's, it's actually needed. It's necessary for the gene system to function. And so by increasing magnesium, I was able to get my heart arrhythmia down and under control. And then by adding SAM-E, I was able to pretty much eliminate the problem and the constant feeling because for years I had felt um, almost like like my body, like I even told my doctor, I even said to him, I said, you know, it's really strange because in my mind I'm not anxious, but my body feels like I'm in a state of anxiety. And of course, most doctors, they don't, you know, unless you have a doctor that's a specialist who knows it, they don't know what to do with that stuff. So I, that's when I started, uh, and Laura, really, I should give Laura the credit, started researching for me to try to find the answer. And I finally, I got tested for the C, we kind of narrowed down to the CMT system and we were like, wow, this really is the answer. So that's it. Magnesium and SAMe both facilitate the COMT system to break down your epinephrine, which is adrenaline, norepinephrine, and uh, and uh, dopamine, and a nice side effect is it also breaks down estrogens, so it wow. can help balance your testosterone and your DHT, your dihydrotestosterone. Which, by the way, that's another effect of Merck. Another one of the two hundred plus things people don't realize. I mean, it causes wrinkles. Mercury causes wrinkles because it breaks down your ability to uh, the enzymes that work on uh, the um, oh, I forgot what it's called. The thing they call the uh, Oh, collagen fibers, collagen, collagen fibers. Yes. Um, so mercury interferes with like so many of your enzyme systems, but it also causes balding because it raises your dihydrotestosterone. So it'll cause balding in men. It'll cause excessive gray, uh, hair growth in women. It'll mess with your testosterone levels. And then it causes all kinds of hormonal disturbance. It, it goes on. You can talk for hours about what mercury does in the body. But anyway, so magnesium and SAMe. Maybe yes, and I just wanted to, to go ahead and jump in since you so kindly said I could. Thank you so much, Laura. <laughs> always, always, please. The people who are met, met, people who have a slower COMT system, um, you know, they may be out there saying, well, you know, I take magnesium or I've got magnesium, you know, in my multivitamin or something like that. Um, they found that people who have a slow COMT system need oftentimes significantly more magnesium than, than say, you know, someone who's kind of in the middle of the spectrum, you know, your Valmet people. Um, and part of the reason is because cortisol, one of your stress hormones, removes magnesium and potassium from the body. Really? So using Russ as an example, um, you know, he was having all these feelings of, you know, just all this adrenaline and, and just physical anxiety in his body, and he kept taking more magnesium and more magnesium. He'd also, you know, take extra potassium, and he's like, why can't my body regulate my magnesium and potassium levels? And then eventually I came across this information that, you know, indicated that the higher your cortisol levels, which people who are met-med, who have a slow COMT system, they're not breaking down their catecholamines, so therefore their body's actually producing more stress hormone 
uh, like cortisol. The cortisol then removes magnesium and potassium from the body. So you end up with low magnesium, low potassium. And, and therefore, you know, it's just like this vicious circle. So yeah. the key is really making sure you're getting enough magnesium and potassium and not being afraid to experiment with taking, you know, higher levels. Um, magnesium is pretty harmless. If you take too much magnesium, you know, the body's going to compensate by removing it, you know, with through diarrhea, to be blunt, you know, um, and it's very hard to take too much potassium because, you know, the FDA has limited the amount of potassium you can get per, you know, capsule or per tablet. So, right. you know, you'd have to take handfuls of potassium. Yeah, they take 99 milligrams is the maximum amount you can have over the counter of, of uh, potassium. And what is what uh, what's like the max, maximum recommended? What we like 47. Milligrams uh, is typical. Just, yeah, the, the 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 even the RDA says that people should get, I believe it's forty five or maybe forty seven hundred milligrams a day, and you're talking about ninety nine milligrams in a little capsule or tablet. Um, so, you know, unless you're, you know, on kidney dialysis, you have poor kidney function or you're on certain, you know, loop diuretics or things like that, you know, the average person would have a hard time taking too much you know, potassium. potassium. Yeah. Right. You know, so by by using SAMe to help the COMT system work better and then adding in extra magnesium and potassium and magnesium glycinate is a great one because you get the benefits of magnesium bound to the amino acid glycine, which has its own health benefits, um, but it doesn't have nearly the laxative properties that, say, like magnesium citrate has. Um, right, you know, right. Think of milk of magnesia. People, you know, used to take milk of magnesia. Um, magnesium. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because, you know, magnesium is a uh, muscle relaxant. So, you know, the intestinal system, all these muscles, it relaxes it and, you know, everything is, you know, smooth going. So, but magnesium glycinate, um, we've been experimenting with that and that seems to work a lot better, at least for us, than some of the other forms of magnesium. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there that that kind of, when you go down the rabbit hole even further, these things start popping up that explain why this system works the way it does. Well, you you have really helped me out tonight because um, I, I do have a heart arrhythmia that crops up every once in a while. And it's always when my potassium's low. And I lose potassium and I don't know how, but I think I do now. Um, so... And I've always been afraid to take magnesium for the properties that you described because I, um, I'm a sufferer of IBSD and I also have had colon cancer and have a third of my intestine missing. So, um, you know, it's, things are easy. Let's put it that way. Uh, but, um, so, you know, I was afraid to take magnesium thinking that, you know, this is, this is only going to make the, um, the, uh, oh, what do they call that? Uh, the movement of the transit time. Yeah, the transit time. Thank you. Uh, it would make the transit time a lot quicker. And I don't want the transit time to be a lot quicker. I want that bus to move slow. Um, so anyway, uh, and knowing that there's a, another magnesium uh, uh, other than um, citrate, 
um, really helps me out, and I could try that now. And it might help to explain why, uh, you know, the weight gain, because the cortisol causes weight gain. Mm-hmm. And um, so if I'm producing too much cortisol and I'm putting on all this weight and I'm losing, but you've, you've basically, by what you've said, you have answered every question that I've had the last six months about why I'm putting on weight, why, um, uh, you know, I'm losing potassium. I've been like that for years. I have, I am on uh, potassium chloride. Um, doctor put me on it and it's the best potassium to be on if you want to get potassium, but it's only a, a prescription. Um, but, um, I noticed that when I start getting uh, palpitations and I start upping my potassium, because I think the bottom level is 3.5, if I'm not mistaken. And I always hover around 3.7, but if I get down to 3.6 or 3.5, I notice the palpitations start, and I have to start doubling up on my potassium again. And I don't necessarily like doing that because it makes you run out faster than the pharmacy can fill. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is this has been very helpful, and I yeah I, try the try the magnesium glycinate G L Y C I N A T E or glycinate. Some people say it one way, some people say it the other. Um, but glycine is an amino acid that actually by itself has some great properties. And I don't know if you have any problems with sleep. A lot of times, people that have high cortisol levels, you know, the high anxiety. Like Russ being a slow COMT person, he has problems with insomnia and sleeping. Yeah, glycine I, actually – go ahead. No, I was going to say I, I, I'm a very light sleeper, and I don't dream, and I don't remember dreams and stuff like that. So I, I very rarely probably go into REM sleep. So Okay. Uh, well, you may really like the, the magnesium glycinate because glycine has a calming effect on the brain because it antagonizes glutamate, which is an excito, excitatory uh, chemical in the brain. It also can help lower your core body temperature, which studies show that a lower core body temperature helps people sleep better. Huh. And it's been shown in some studies to actually help induce, you know, slow wave sleep quicker so that people get a more restful night's sleep. Um, so you may find, you know, you can start off slow. You know, some people, you know, there's a small amount of people that might have some, a little bit of GI distress initially, just as their, their body's getting used to it. So, right. you know, I would start out slowly. Um, but, uh, they recommend anywhere from like three to four grams right before bed of glycine, if you're taking it as magnesium glycinate, that's going to, you know, the amounts are going to be different. So you'll have to experiment. But um, I've actually been trying it and it has actually helped improve my sleep. So yeah, glycine, there are two things that I found when exposed to mercury as a met met person, there are two things that help me sleep. I tried everything, three things, Um, uh, taurine, Helps me sleep. So for the, I hope this helps people out there. Taurine, you can go get it anywhere. Uh, glycine is wonderful. And GABA. Of course, remember, mercury depletes GABA. So when right. I took GABA, that was the one thing I found that would actually slow my thoughts down. Because I would lay in bed. It would take two to three hours a night to get to sleep. I'm not kidding. And, and my mind would just race. Right. And I couldn't stop it. Well, my GABA is depleted. That's part of it. Plus, mercury is raising my catecholamines, and that's also contributing. So the SAMe and the glycine is wonderful. Uh, It's worked wonderfully for me as well. 
<laughs> you and know, was... glycine may even help reduce glyphosate toxicity. So nice. people out there that are worried about glyphosate, um, I've read some indications that say that the glycine may help with that as well. Yeah, and since I've been doing the SAMe and keeping my catechol, you know, getting everything under control, um, I've lost inches. Of oh weight. wow, really cool. Yeah, just just a well, real you're, nice you're side control cortisol. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. I'm yeah. just dropping weight, and I I believe for years I've said this for many many years that you know the mainstream media likes to blame, you know, the uh, the uh, uh, obesity epidemic on you know sugar and bad eating habits. I believe that. I believe that bad eating eating habits and weight gain are both from mercury. First right. of all, mercury because it inhibit inhibits the action of uh, of um, of uh, uh, chromium and vanadium. The, then you don't process sugar properly, and it makes you, it can make you gain weight very quickly. So um, in, and so you can have sugar cravings. So. Mercury toxic people often have terrible sugar cravings. Also, it, it interferes with your insulin system, and it would give me terrible uh, situation that I would call a feeling in my body that I would call exercise withdrawal. The right. only thing that would make me feel better would would be exercise when I was very mercury toxic. So, yeah, so um, so you, you so people uh, who are exposed to mercury, especially met met belmet, are going to crave sugar, so they eat worse. And also with the emotionalism, they may eat more because there's emotional needs that they're trying to fulfill, and so they eat more sugar. That's another side of it too, and which can also gain weight. But then also you've got the uh, the, the fact that you've got the cortisol issue. Right. So I have believed for a long time that it's heavy metals that really is at the root of obesity. Well, that would make sense. Hey, um, I'm getting a question from one of our listeners um, and she's addressing another listener uh, without saying any names here. She said, didn't you have a question about zeolite and cilantro? You wrote that in comments to one of, the, one of Dave's shows, trying to be helpful. So is there a correlation between, I don't even know what zeolite is. Uh, I know cilantro, I can't stand it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember us talking about that last time. Yeah, yeah. zeolite is basically an aluminum substance. Now, aluminum and mercury bind very strongly together. Um, aluminum and mercury mixed together is very harmful. And right. it's no, it's no, which is why I think it's no coincidence that both are in vaccines because there was a study done. Dr. David A. Ube, he, has, he does a lecture on this, which I love. It's one of my favorite lectures of all time. It's a 90 minute lecture and I just am on the edge of my seat because the information is so good. So anyway, Dr. David A. Ube talks about this. They did a study and they put X amount of mercury in rats and uh, and 10% of them died. They did right. uh, animal testing, obviously, and I'm sorry for those who, uh, who are disturbed by animal testing. I don't mean to, to, to talk about that in a positive way or anything like this, but this study was done and he's trying to derive some information from that. Um, they put X amount, the same amount of aluminum in another set of rats, and 10% died. So you had 10% death rate for mercury, you had 10% death rate from aluminum. Then they put the same amount of mercury and aluminum together in, the, in another test rat, and they had a 100% fatality rate. Wow. It's called being synergistic. It's called synergy. When you have multiple things together, and the effect is not linear. It's right. a nonlinear effect. You have X, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 20 instead of 4. And so... 
in that kind of a situation, you have aluminum and mercury that are much more toxic together than they are separately, and you have both of these things in vaccines. Again, I don't think there's any, that's not some, you know, coincidence or something. They know that. I mean, they're, how do I know this? And the pharmaceutical industry doesn't know this. Of course they know this. They oh, do yeah. that because it makes people sick. And, and also they, I was, they make to, money out of us being sick. Yeah. yeah. That's how they make money. That's how they, it's Machiavellian business model. You create a problem and then you charge for the solution. Right. And you mentioned cilantro too. So, well, zeolite. So zeolite is an aluminum-based product. It encapsulates. So you can capture mercury with zeolite. It's not my favorite uh, supplement to use for mercury toxicity. I prefer using um, uh, glutathione, uh, reduced glutathione, uh, N-acetylcysteine. N-acetylcysteine is actually a glutathione precursor, so it will help your body make glutathione. Glutathione is, is your master detox molecule in your body. In fact, it's so important that articles that have come out in mainstream media in the last 10 years actually said that glutathione is so important in your body, you can probably uh, predict how long somebody will live based on how much glutathione their body produces. Wow. So, yep. And what they found, Dr. Boyd Haley had a lot to do with this research. Uh, I, I encourage anybody to listen to his research or his lectures, um, that um, the uh, children who ended up getting... Uh, uh, um, getting ADD and ADHD and autism were the children who were low producers of glutathione. They, they usually had high testosterone levels which suppressed their glutathione production mm-hmm. and those were the children who ended up getting autism. And he showed that there was a direct correlation between testosterone levels and autism because testosterone suppressed glutathione which uh, prohibited children, those particular children, from getting rid of mercury. Wow. And marvelous research there. So, the, so anyway, those are the supplements. Like N-acetylcysteine is a glutathione precursor. Um, so that's something that I that's something I use. You can use uh, alpha lipoic acid, which is good for getting it out of the central nervous system, getting mercury and other things out. Also promotes uh, glutathione production. In, uh, in your CNS. You can use hirataki, which is an Indian herb, uh, which is another master herb that actually increases glutathione production in the body. Milk thistle increases glutathione production in the liver. Mm-hmm. Um, just You can go on and on. So, so I have other things that I prefer to use other than zeolite. However, zeolite does seem to be effective at removing mercury and other toxins because it does bind to it and helps carry it out of the body. So, so it, it's definitely something some people can use. Well, the other thing, where, where does cilantro oh, fit into all this? Because she's saying that I guess she eats a lot of cilantro. Um, Here's, go ahead. Yeah, cilantro. Cilantro actually causes your central nervous system to excrete mercury if it's if it's if it's available. Oh, if it's, it's a good uh, thing, present. Yeah. So it is a good thing. Cilantro is a very good thing, but you have to be careful because it's not a chelator in the, in the traditional sense of the word. It helps your body expel the mercury, but it doesn't sop it up and get rid of it for you. So okay. what I tell people that I do, I'm not a doctor, I can't tell people what to do, but this is what I do, is that when I have cilantro, I will have a chelator along with it, Great. Um, like glutathione, and I will also take a, a substance, which I'll talk about in a second, called algin. Um, never cilantro alone, though, because now you're just recirculating mercury, which is right. good. To get the mercury out, you've got to get it mobile, but you've got to capture it. You've got to chelate it while it's mobile. 
And you can do that with uh, DMSA. Oral DMSA is very popular for that. Of course, the FDA made over-the-counter DMSA almost impossible or impossible to get in the U.S. for the last five years, which was another. Too many people were getting rid of uh, autism in their children, um, and so they they couldn't let that continue. So they had to stop DMSA. Um, but DMSA is is pretty amazing. I usually don't recommend chemical things, but um, that's one of the very few exceptions that I make. Um, so if you're going to use cilantro, I would use it with a chelator. Um, with glutathione, and I also would take algin. Algin right. is a non-digestible polysaccharide made from brown seaweed. Mm-hmm. And what it does, you don't digest it, it stays in your intestines. And the way your body gets rid of mercury, one of the most common ways is it's dumped from the liver through the bile ducts into your colon. Right. The problem is, is you're, you reabsorb part of it. You have to stop that reabsorption cycle. So what you want to do is algin binds very strongly to mercury, and it also binds to barium. It also binds to uh, uranium and binds to other toxic metals. And so when uh, your liver excretes it and it gets into your colon, that algin, as long as you have it present, will uh, help bind it up and get it out of your body without allowing that reabsorption. And that's why a lot of people I personally know who have tried algin, including myself, actually feel a difference when you're taking it because you're you're not reabsorbing uh, that mercury that you're trying to your body's trying to get rid of yeah i'm getting questions left and right here uh we got uh, another one that said about vitamin d and vitamin k how much vitamin k do you need to take and i think you said it was k2 right yeah yeah k2 is used in the distribution of d so if you're taking like a d3 supplement uh, you don't want to take it alone. You want to make sure you've got uh, K2 available. Laura, you're – what would Yep, you that's right. Um, there's not a fast and hard rule, but basically if you're taking anywhere from, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 IU of vitamin D, you know, you're going to want to be taking at least uh, – they, they say, you know, different – like, you know, Dr. Marcola has his opinion and so forth. But from what I've read, it, the consensus seems to be between 100 to 200 uh, milligrams of vitamin K2 for like every 2,000 IU of vitamin D3. Just to make sure that, um, you know, because vitamin D3 helps the body utilize calcium and you want that calcium going into your bones, not into your arteries. And that's where the K2 comes in. Um, And in fact, more research is coming to light that seems to indicate that what, you know, they used to think of as vitamin D toxicity, you know, oh, people are taking too much vitamin D. Actually, it's that there's, they're having a vitamin K deficiency. So, um, the K2 is really important when you're taking extra vitamin D3. Now, where do you get K2? I've looked all over the place for it. I can't find it. Um, um, the health food brand store I or? use, yeah, I actually get it on Amazon. Um, oh, okay. Can, um, the, the brand I like is a company called Sports Research, and uh-huh. it's just vitamin K2 in an organic uh, coconut oil base because you do need fat um, to help absorb your vitamin D. So when you're taking your vitamin D with your vitamin K2, you either need to be eating a meal that has some amount of fat in it or, you know, coconut oil or take, you know, a K2 in a coconut oil base, something like that, because you need uh, the vitamin D is fat soluble. Okay, good deal. Good deal. You know, I've kept us over two hours and I really apologize for that. (laughs) 
Uh, oh, happy but there to were no, so no many problem. questions. Uh, happy to do it. But, uh, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'd like to get uh, explore this deeper if we could some other time, uh, because I think we've, you know, touched the tip of the iceberg uh, when it comes to uh, getting this stuff out. And uh, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, if, if you feel that, I don't know, maybe you feel like we've, we've hit it all. I don't know. But... Um, if oh, you could you you could go on and on with these things. I mean, there's so much to talk about, from the chemtrails to mercury, how they're utilizing it, and I you know love getting into the subject too about how the psychology of of what you see in the news and television, how they manipulate people. Um, yeah, and one thing I was gonna I wanted just real quick to throw at you. Know you you talked about uh, um, uh, potassium being low. You know barium. Is an antagonist for potassium. Really? And chemtrails contain barium. In fact, barium lowers potassium in mammals so quickly it's used in animal testing to artificially induce heart attacks. Oh my goodness. Yes. In fact, I wow. had a heart attack in 2011. I didn't, I mean, full, you know, emergency room, everything. First time and last time I ever rode in, a, in an ambulance. And uh, after days of testing, they said, You have no functional problems with your heart. The only problem we have, the, the nurse showed up with these big horse pills in her hand, said, here, take these. And I was like, well, what is that? She said, this is barium. And she looked at me out of the top of her eyes and said, you're bar- you're potassium. No, I mean, those were potassium, excuse me. Yeah. Said, these are potassium. And she looked at me over the top of her eyes and said, your potassium is low. Because they yeah. had finally got my blood test back. Well, barium, which is in chemtrails, depletes potassium. Really? So it's very important. Yes, it's very important to keep potassium up with supplementation and of course, what do, what do so many television shows and movies now? I've seen. I don't watch a lot of television, so I, but even with little that I watch, I've seen shows that scare people, like the show The Resident, which is a popular medical show. Even the show House had two episodes where it actually scared people about potassium. Um, they, you know, the mainstream media is trying to scare people away from taking potassium. Yeah. The Resident. Yeah, the medical show The Resident actually had a murder committed by potassium in it uh, back months ago. So uh-huh. anyway, you, you, you don't get your information from television. I, I would uh, encourage people not to do that. Definitely. Um, but the other thing is taurine, because taurine is what helps your heart actually hold on to its electrolytes like potassium. So take potassium with some taurine and uh, can help a lot. Yeah, and if you and if you find that your magnesium levels, you have a hard time, you know, keeping your magnesium levels up. Taurine can oftentimes help you absorb your magnesium, uh, you know, more efficiently. Okay. Yeah, and after my heart attack, having that, uh, there was a certain chemtrail type which I called the barium type. I talked to you about before, which would cause tremendous heart pain in me. Right. And for years, I didn't know how to deal with it, but now I do. Now, because of that hospital visit. I take a bunch of potassium when that they spray that type, which I believe is barium, uh-huh. and I don't have those symptoms anymore. See that? See yeah. that? Yeah, potassium is yep. a wonder drug or mineral, it I is. should say. <laughs> it is. Definitely. It's so critical, and it's being depleted intentionally in our bodies. So, 
yeah, people need to know about potatoes. And you're not going to get it from your regularly harvested bananas. If you want to get magnesium or if you want to get potassium from foods, you're going to have to go organic because the the regular foods have been depleted of all of your minerals and they use pesticides which contain mercury. So you've got to go organic if you're going to try to get your minerals through food. Well, fungicides, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We saw a test out of University of Florida, I think it was USF or SFU, um, that um, showed a whole bunch of vegetables where they compared organic mineral content uh, to the mineral content in non-organic uh, vegetables, and I think in no case was the mineral content ten times different. Pesticide-grown minerals had one tenth at best the mineral content. Uh, for most of your critical minerals that they were testing than the organic. I mean, wow. And that was back dramatic. in the 90s. So this was in the oh. 90s we saw yeah. this study. Yeah. 30 years ago. Wow. Huge That's difference. Amazing. Huge difference. Yeah. Huge wow. difference. Minerals, yeah. Get your minerals from organic vegetables. Yeah. So let's, let's get together again sometime, okay? And I know that the folks listening and me, of course, and my co-hosts, um, we'd, we'd like to know a lot more about what's going on. So... Um, I'll be in contact with you if you so wish we could do that. So uh, anytime, anytime. I'd, I'd love to love to help out, and I, I just hope people benefit from the information. Well, I know I'm going to. I'm going to go find this stuff that you talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and anytime, if you guys have any questions, Laura's Laura's my go-to person. She, you know, you set her you set her loose on uh, on the. Uh, you know, PubMed and the uh, the, the research uh, sites, she knows how to get in and get that research and, and uh, you know, be more than happy to help you out, however. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank uh, you, Laura. Thank you, Russ. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank hey, you. Uh, thank you, Brian. <laughs> Hang it in there. Um, uh, yeah, well, um, again, uh, I know that our audience uh, this time is going to get a lot out of this show. Um, I'm really sorry again for last time, but I guess I could apologize profusely and, uh, but it is what it is. And, um, but, uh, anyway, thanks for agreeing to come on again. We really appreciate it. And I know they do. They've been asking questions. Um, and I've got a couple of thank yous from a couple of wonderful ladies that are here every week. Um, you answered a lot of questions for them too. So you've, you've affected about five or six people just from the radio show that I know of. And, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, when it gets downloaded by several hundred, uh, they'll be helped also. So I'm uh, so glad. Yeah, me too. So let's keep in touch and let's uh, let's do this again sometime real soon. OK, guys. Absolutely. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for all you do and getting information out. There. OK. Appreciate and again, you your, your websites. GlobalSkyWatch.com and Orbis Vitae, O-R-B-I-S, Orbis, like Orbit. Uh, Vitae, yeah. like life, uh, V-I-T-A-E dot com. Those are two of our biggest websites. Cool. Very cool. And um, they can get a hold of you, I'm, I'm sure, through web, through email from those sites. So. Yep. If you want to email me, my email's on those sites. You can just email from there. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Well, again, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll we'll be doing this again real soon, I'm sure. Sounds okay, great. Thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.